Good evening, it's good to be here with you. Tonight we're going to continue our series on Get Wisdom. And we are going, the last couple of sermons on this subject, we looked at wisdom and riches. And in the particular subject of wisdom and riches, we settled with finality from the Word is does God want you rich? And is there a divine purpose behind Him wanting you to be wealthy? Yes and yes to both of those questions if you don't know. If you weren't with us, go online, listen to the messages, and um, you'll, you'll be blessed and uh, your faith will be supercharged for finances and for the purposes of those finances. Also on the website, you can find a recent sermon that we call the Sermon Buffet. Actually, I'm not sure how it's titled online. Um, is that the title to it? Sermon Buffet. And we covered a bunch of different su- subjects from what does the Bible say about abortion, So if you've never heard a sermon on that, go online, listen to that. We talk about Santa Claus and the the real reason behind Christmas and some good things like that. Go with me over to Proverbs chapter 4. And this is what we've been using as our text for uh, getting wisdom. And we're going to just look down in in verse 5 of Proverbs 4. It says, get wisdom, get understanding. So there's two things that we're supposed to get, right? And there's there's many, I mean... The real estate in this book is pretty limited. In fact, in one place in John, it says that the whole world couldn't contain the books if they would have wrote everything. So this is very, very limited real estate. And so what the Lord chose to be into this book is obviously of great importance to you and I. Every jot, every tittle. Alright, so he says get wisdom. So this is something that we want to look at. Get understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words from my mouth. Look at verse 7. Wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom. And whatever else you get, get understanding. So we know that wisdom is available. Wisdom is available for you and I. And what did we just read? That Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Right? So if you need wisdom, don't go begging. That's not necessary. Ask and believe that you receive. All right, no begging required. So if we if if we don't have wisdom, whose fault is that? Ourselves. We're the only one to look at because the Lord said, "Ask and you shall receive." Get wisdom. It's been made available to us. We've looked at. We spent whole sermons looking at how sermon, uh, wisdom is available to us. Here's another scripture out of Proverbs you can listen to. In Proverbs 16, 16, it says, get wisdom, how much better it is than gold. And get understanding, it is preferable to silver. Again, in Proverbs 8, it says, for wisdom is better than jewels, and nothing desirable can equal it. Nothing you can want is as great as the wisdom of God within you. The spirit of wisdom. And why is wisdom better than money? Well, because money without wisdom is exceedingly temporary. Right? You watch people win a lottery and a couple years later they're back to the poorhouse. Because money without wisdom is temporary. But did you know that having wisdom and no money is also a temporary condition? You don't have to stay without money if you have wisdom. The good news is that if you're without money or you're without wisdom, the Lord is the answer to both of those conditions and can deliver you from both conditions. In Ecclesiastes, it says that wisdom is better than strength. So we just saw wisdom is better than gold or silver, but he says wisdom is better than strength. He also goes on and he says wisdom is better than, than weapons of war. 
In other words, you could... I have a friend who is a fighter, and I was talking to him, and he was saying how that the guy that trained him, he was this old old guy and, and super, super experienced. I mean, one of the top in the world is training him. And, and this, this my friend, he was young at the time, and so he was quick. He was very fast. That was one of the things he had going for him. The other thing is he was strong. The old man wasn't that quick or strong. He was quicker and stronger than the old man. But every time they'd spar, this guy would beat him soundly. And he said, I would get so frustrated because I knew I was faster. I knew I was stronger and he would still beat me. Because he was fighting smarter. He was anticipating what the faster, stronger guy was going to do before he did it. What was this? This is skill. The old man had more skill than the young man. Even though the young man was stronger, even though the young man had more weapons of war, if you will. See, skill is another word for wisdom if you look at the, at the definition of it. So this man's wisdom in fighting, his skill in fighting, was better than strength. Or better than gold. Or better than weapons of war. In fact, in, in also in Ecclesiastes it says this. It says, if an axe is blunt, the edge isn't sharpened. Then one has to use more strength. Right, you've got to wail away twice as long, twice as hard to get the same thing accomplished. It goes on and says, but wisdom prepares the way for success. See, wisdom would tell you to go sharpen that axe before you go out to the tree. And now it takes half the effort, half the time. I mean, with, with the wisdom of God, what is difficult in our own strength becomes suddenly easy. Your time gets multiplied. Your, your finances get multiplied. The Right people around you get become multiplied. So let me say it this way. Wisdom, we've been talking about getting wisdom. Wisdom is the skill of living life as God intended it. Wisdom is the skill of living life as God intended it or intended you to live it. In other words, wisdom is you skillfully carrying out God's will in your life in the way that you should go. Go with me over to Philippians chapter 1 and we'll go to verse 9, I believe. Philippians 1. Alright, Paul is writing to the Philippian church and he says this, he says, I pray this, this is Paul's prayer, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and in every kind of discernment. He's praying that you would grow, that the Philippians would grow in every kind of discernment. Some translations say insight. In every kind of insight. Okay, what is wisdom? Wisdom is, is having insight and knowing how to use the knowledge and understanding that you have. So it's discernment. We could say, we could use the same word. You know, the more wisdom that you have, the more discernment that you have. The fool, it said, it has no discernment. You know, he doesn't see trouble coming and he's surprised by it at every turn. Whereas the wise man, it says, sees trouble coming and hides himself. See, there's discernment there. So part of wisdom is discernment. So he's saying, I pray that you would grow in knowledge and in every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior. This word approve is also the word discern. Okay, So that you can discern the things that are superior or the things that are best would be a literal translation or the things that are most excellent. 
and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he prays that you would have the wisdom and the discernment to be able to discern what is best or most excellent. See, discernment is the wisdom to decide correctly. The wisdom to decide, make the right choice. To make the right judgment. Okay, The word judge means to decide. And that's what discernment is. To And, and tonight we're going to in particularly look at correctly evaluating the value of something. What is something worth and making a right judgment on it? All right. And discerning between what is good and bad takes a very basic level of discernment. Right? Giving, doing a good deed, giving to someone versus stealing from them, which is good, which is bad. You know, very basic level of wisdom or discernment, and we know which one we should do. What is more difficult and takes another whole level of wisdom is discerning between what is good and what is best. Because see, we know both are good. Now both are on the one side of the equation, but which should I do? John Bevere has a book out called Good or God. And that's, that's what he addresses. The whole book is on that subject of is it a good thing to do or is it the God thing to do? Because see, doing, doing good when you're supposed to be over here doing the best, see, good is the enemy of best is a common phrase that we use. Because good is, is keeping you busy in things that are good, but they're not the best what God wants you to be doing. And so wisdom to discern the difference between, or how did he say it here? Wisdom to discern the things that are superior, the things that are best, or the things that are most excellent. Alright? Best from good. We're in Philippians. Let's go over to chapter 3 and look at verse 7. The wisdom to discern. Verse 7 in chapter 3 says, But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be lost because of Christ. Now, if we would back up and read what came before this, you would see that Paul was laying out who he was and just talking pedigree. Man, I was this. I was Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was Pharisee. You know, all these different things. I had all this training. I had zeal. I had all this stuff going for me. And then he makes the statement. He said, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Is he putting a value on something greater than on something else? Yeah. He is discerning between good and best. You know, is it good to do something? Well, sure. But everything he's saying is loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus his Lord. Then he goes on, he says, because of him, because of Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. He is placing an absolute extreme value on something that surpasses all his other needs, everything else he had going for him in life, all the works of the flesh, everything. He says everything is, is, is dung in comparison to this one thing. In fact, the NET, uh, that's Bible translation, the notes say this on that. It says the word here translated dung was often used in Greek as a vulgar term 
for fecal matter, really for dog crap. Okay, As such, it would most likely have a certain shock value for the readers. It's not, it's a vulgar term, right? It's not, it's not a term that you would generally use as a public speaker. So he is putting this in here, and he says this may well be Paul's meaning here, especially since the context is about what the flesh produces. He is getting their attention and he's saying this one thing is so valuable, everything else in comparison is just rubbish, is just crap. It's, it's not even worth my attention in comparison. Go over to Mark chapter 14. We're talking about discerning correctly, having the wisdom to know the difference between good and best. Or, let's say it a different way, between what's good and what is God's will for now. For in the moment. Alright? Here and look in Mark 14 and verse 3. It says, while he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he reclined at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume of pure nard. Alright, what she's bringing here, I mean, it doesn't just say she brought something expensive, but it describes it as being in a special jar. Alabaster was a stone, a stone jar. It says it's very expensive perfume, and then it even says the kind it is. And she broke the jar, in other words, broke the seal, and poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. Now, one denarii was a day's wage. So this is like a year's wages that she just dumped over his head. And this is not like, you know, I mean, how much do, do well, I don't know what the median wage is right now in, in the United States, but it would buy a nice car. Right? It's not like she's presenting him with a gift that he's going to be able to use again and again and again like a car. If you were to go give someone the gift of a car. Or even a nice suit or some nice shoes. You know, something that he's going to be able to repeatedly use. It's pretty much dump it over his head. He's going to smell really nice for a couple of days and then it's done. One year's worth of wage over this. And the people sitting there, at least some of them, they had issue with this because they placed value on the money that was greater than what she did. The value of what she did. It says here that they said, why has this perfume been wasted? This could have been sold for 300 denarii, a year's wages, and given to the poor. Is giving to the poor good? Yeah. I mean, if you were with us the last two sermons on this, one of the ways to become wealthy is give to the poor. Scripture is very, very clear on that. So is that a good thing to give to the poor? Absolutely. But what she did was even better than good. Right? What does it say? They, Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you and you can do what is good for them whenever you want. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the Gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And once again tonight, that Scripture is fulfilled. Because I just told you about it. Right? It's proclaimed once again. This woman, she valued Jesus more than she valued a year's wage. 
But some of the people sitting there valued a year's wage more than they valued Jesus. Which one would we have been? What would we have valued in that situation? I mean, I'm not asking for a raise of hands, but if someone came up and dumped out whatever the median wage is, $30,000, how much? $51,000. If someone dumped $51,000 worth of something over top of, of Steve's head, everyone that's watching that might wonder, well, but that could have been used to you know, fund all the work over there that the Mirabellas are doing, or on and on and on, given to the poor, or, and, and begin to criticize when giving to the poor is good and we're commanded to do that and it's a way for you to bring the Lord into your finances. It's a way for you to partner with Him is what I'm saying because it says He repays those who does that. So that's good and there's time and place for that. But in this particular case, something was more valuable yet the people there weren't discerning what was most valuable. In Proverbs 28, it tells us whoever increases his wealth through excessive interest. Everyone say excessive interest. So it's beyond what is right. Okay, Taking advantage of someone. Excessive interest. An example of excessive interest would be you know, when you don't pay on a credit card and now it goes to like the annual rate of whatever, a gazillion percent interest. And it just grows faster than you can possibly pay it. Alright? It becomes excessive. Well, the issue here, he's saying um, whoever increases his wealth through excessive interests is collecting it actually for someone who's kind to the poor is what that Scripture says. Someone who's kind to the poor. But the point that I want you to, or to draw a line to from this Scripture in your mind is that a person who does that values their money, the excessive interest, more than they value the person they're taking advantage of. They value something else more than the person. Which is exactly what they the Judas, we know who it was, and maybe some of the others, valued the money more than they valued Jesus or the perfume or the value of that perfume. You know, Jesus said to the Pharisees at one point, He said, you, um, He was teaching on money, and it says the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and scoffed at Him. And He told them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. So what are we learning tonight? We are talking about having the wisdom of God to discern, to put the proper value on things. What is most valuable in whatever situation you're up against? Is it most valuable that you go out and, and do something for the poor or your friend or someone in need? Or is it tonight most valuable for you to be home with your children? See, if you just automatically have a yes or a certain way of being, you completely rule out being Spirit-led in that. But you need to stop and check. And we've said this over and over again. Why is wisdom supreme? Because it is discovering the will of God. Wisdom is knowing the will of God in any given situation in which you face. And so what people admire greatly, the Lord does not. And so He thinks differently than people. The unrenewed mind. Okay, A renewed mind is going to think like He thinks. But the unrenewed mind is going to think like this world thinks. And put a value on things rather than a value on people. Let's go over to 1 Samuel and 
Just look at this a little bit further. Valuing things over what we should be valuing. In 1 Samuel in chapter 2, this is the story of the prophet Eli and his family. And and in in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, in verse 3 it says um, that Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. So there was three of them that were the Lord's priests there at the tabernacle. And so now we go to chapter 2, and in verse 12 it says, Eli's sons were wicked men. They did not respect the Lord. Some translations say no. They did not know the Lord. They didn't, they didn't honor Him in any way. It says, or the priest's share of the sacrifice. So they didn't respect the Lord. They didn't respect the share of the sacrifice from the people. When anyone offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come with a three-pronged meat fork while the meat was boiling and plunge it into the container, kettle, cauldron, or cooking pot. The priest would claim for himself whatever the meat fork brought up. This was the way they treated all the Israelites who came there to Shiloh. So this was they they were supposed to do this, but after a certain portion of time. All the fat was supposed to be boiled off. There's scripture that in the law that when he gave them instructions on how to handle the sacrifices and the offerings, see, the meat that they would bring in and offer to the Lord, the priests would then eat. But it was first to be sacrificed to the Lord, and all the fat, it says all the fat belongs to the Lord. And so they were to sacrifice and burn off all the fat before they did any of this other, before they ate it. But they apparently developed developed a taste for fat, which if you like bacon or you like a really good brisket, you too have developed a taste for fat. And so so that's all fine and good, but in this particular case, it was not good because they were not to do this. So it says in verse 15, even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the one who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast because he won't accept boiled meat from you, only raw. If that person said to him, the fat must be burned first, then you can take whatever you want for yourself. The servant would reply, no, I insist that you hand it over right now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. So the servant's sin was very severe in the presence of the Lord because the men treated the Lord's offering with contempt. The word means scorn. They treated it with scorn or disdain. Now look down into verse 27. A man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says, Didn't I reveal Myself to your forefathers' family when they were in Egypt and belonged to Pharaoh's palace? Out of all the tribes of Israel, I chose your house to be My priest, to offer sacrifices on My altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in My presence. I also gave your forefathers' family all the Israelite food offerings. Why then do all of you despise My sacrifices and offerings? that I require at the place of worship. This word despise means the literal meaning is to kick or to trample on. To put it underfoot. In other words, something that you don't even deem valuable enough to pick up, something that you're just going to walk on, it, it, we could say you despise that thing. It holds no value to you. It's not even valuable enough to pick up. Unless it's meant to be walked on like the floor, right? Isn't it amazing that God made your legs just long enough to reach the floor? Some of you need to smile occasionally. It's looking rather serious in here. Why then do all of you 
kick at my sacrifice and offerings that I require at the place of worship. You have honored your sons more than me. Or that word honored means weighty. It means valued. You have valued your sons more than me by making yourselves fat with the best part of all the offerings of my people Israel. Therefore, this is the declaration of the Lord, the God of Israel. I did say that your family and forefathers' family would walk before me forever, but now this is the Lord's declaration. No longer. For those who honor or value me, I will honor or value. But those who despise me will be disgraced. And that word is cursed. Remember the whole curse of the law? Right? So that was in effect. If they despise the Lord, they're cursed. They're disdained. They're, they're also despised. Let's just read this line again. For those who honor me, the Lord says, I will honor. See, what, we, what the Lord treats with honor, we should also treat with honor. Right? We should treat those things that are precious and valuable to Him as precious and valuable. So what, what, just think within yourself, what do you honor and value? What's valuable to you? What's, what, what do you find extremely valuable in your life? Do you value what the Lord values? You can go over to 1 Peter. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just read two lines for, to you. One from 2 Peter, one from 1 Peter. But go to 1 Peter 2. <clears throat> Listen to this. It says, He has given us very great and precious promises. Say precious promises. He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, in His DNA. In His divine nature. He has given us what kind of promises? Is a precious promise valuable? Should it be treated with great honor? Because it is of extreme value. It's precious. Right? And over in 1 Peter, in one place, he says, your, your genuine faith, not your fake faith, your genuine faith is much more valuable than gold. More valuable than gold. Your faith, faith that's been tried and tested, is more valuable than gold. So I ask the question, are we valuing what He values? Or are we loving silver and gold more than we love the wisdom of God and, and these other things that I'm reading about? The people of God and the promises, very precious promises. It's through these promises that we share in the divine nature. Look in First Peter in chapter 2. <clears throat> Verse 4. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. So Jesus, the living stone, is chosen by God. He is honored by God. Or some translations say precious to God. But that word precious, the literal meaning of this word honored or precious is valued. He is valued by the Lord. The living stone, the cornerstone, is valued by the Lord. In verse 5, he says, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, and he quotes out of the Old Covenant. It says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in Him will never be put to shame. So, honor will come to you who believe. Do you believe? 
honor will come to you. Value. For the un- but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone. The value. The one that Jesus honored. Go over to chapter 1 here in 1 Peter. Look at verse 18. We're talking about do we honor, do we value what the Lord values and honors? In verse 18, it says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through Him you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So what kind of blood purchased us, redeemed us, bought us back? Precious blood. Extremely valuable. How often are we treating it is insignificant. One of the ways that we treat it as insignificant is when we go live in sin. In fact, in one place in Hebrews, it talks about that's crucifying the Son of God afresh for you when you deliberately go into sin. And so, one of the ways that we value the price He paid for us is by valuing what He said to us. You know, Jesus said, if you love Me, you'll keep My commands. And so part of us showing our value of Him is obeying Him. We say this to our children all the time. If you love us, then you're going to do what we tell you. As long as it is in the Lord. And not violating some godly principle. And so, our love is shown by our obedience. See here, he, the Lord bought us. How did He buy us? With the very lifeblood of His one and only Son. He was extremely valuable to the Lord whether He is to you or I or not. Right? He was very, very valuable to the Father. And did you know that the value of something is determined by the price that's paid for it? So, there's many different... Let's take watches, for example. You can get a cheap watch, a $5 watch. I don't know. I guess you can still get $5 watches. But they're going to last for about 1.3 days, right? And so, it has a certain value. How do we know the value of that watch? Well, because... The cost that's required to get that watch, $5. It's not that much. But then you can go to watches that are handmade and have all kinds of time put into them and made with the best parts and pieces. And, and I mean, people that are masters at their skill of watch building have built them and they're thousands and thousands of dollars and they last for as long as metal lasts, okay? are extremely valuable and they put a high price on them and people are willing to pay that price. And so how do we determine the value of any given watch? Well, it's going to be the price paid for it. If I tried to sell this watch to you, I could say, well, it costs X amount of dollars. Here's what it's worth. If you buy, if you buy and resell a house, right? You buy a fixer-upper. You pay a certain price for it. You add value to it. And now you're going to sell it for a higher price and you're going to make a profit. And how do we know if it's worth that? Well, if nobody pays that price for it, then it probably wasn't worth it. But if someone comes along and pays that price you're asking for it, it was worth it to that guy. So we determine that the value of your property was X. 
whatever that number was. In fact, that's how banks determine the value of your property today. They look at your neighbors and go, okay, who sold their house recently? Where's a comparable house to the one you have? And they look at their comps and they go, okay, so based on this surrounding region and houses that match that description, they went for this price, here's the value that we'll give you for your house. So they determine it by the price paid for it. Okay. So your value, how valuable are you? Your value is determined by the price paid for you. What was the price paid for you? The Son of the living God. Jesus Christ Himself. You are as valuable as Jesus Christ Himself. That's the price that was paid for you. Now we know that it wasn't just a one-for-one transaction that God gave His Son to gain only one of us. It was for the whole world. right? So many sons could be made His. Many daughters could be made His. But your value is determined by the price that was paid for you. And in God's eyes, that price was Jesus Himself. His one and only Son. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We could say it a different way. For God so valued the world. Don't lose sight. We're still talking about wisdom. And having the wisdom to value what is truly valuable. What's truly precious. God so valued the world that He gave His one and only Son. See, what you love is what you value. I mean, I love my children. I love my wife. I value them. You know, I'd be willing to pay with my life for them. I, why? Because I value them. So, what you love is what you value. Let me read a scripture to you out of John 13, statement Jesus said. He said, I give you, speaking to the disciples, he said, I give you a new command. So, they had the Ten Commandments and the law, but he said, I came to fulfill those. So now there's one new command that applies to the new covenant believer, and it's this command. It says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. But by this, by what? By this love that you have for each other. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you have the eyes to see what's truly valuable around you? This room is filled with incredible value. Immeasurable value. You. Me. Us. Together. I'm going to read this to you now uh, in the SR revised version. In case some of you are wanting to purchase that, it's not been released yet. It's the Sydney Rop revised version. Alright? I give you a new command. Value one another just as I have valued you. You are also to value one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you value one another. The meaning hasn't changed a bit. Are we valuing each other? Yes. Okay, well that's good. I'm glad we are. Well, Are we treating each other as though we, we value them? Or do we think we can treat each other poorly and go away thinking, yeah, but I value them and they ought to know that much. What do you value? You know, if you're always away at your job, you're never with your family, based on just those actions alone, do you value your job or do you value your family? Now, here um, in Lancaster County, some places are not like this, but I kind of think that here in this region, in the Christian church, I guess is there such a thing as a non-Christian church? Well, 
Technically, no, but in today's age, yes. Okay. In the believing church, one of the idols sometimes that gets put in the wrong place is family. There are tons and tons of people that stay out of the service, stay out of their regular weekly gatherings because they're going to go be with family. Because this took place over going and spending time with the Lord and His people. Because the soccer games or the whatever, the whatever, the whatever. Okay, And if the Lord tells you to go do one of those things, then by all means, be there, not here or in your house of worship. Okay, If He says, I want you today to go out there to the soccer game and be there, then go and be there and be looking for what He wants to do there. But we can judge based on what we spend our time at, what do we count as valuable? Is it that video game? Is it my Bible? A fair question, isn't it? Is it play? Is it work? Is it people? People other than where I should be putting my value? Right? Everyone's valuable, but you still got to obey the Lord. Am I saying that you shouldn't play? No, I'm not at all saying that. Am I saying you shouldn't have video games? No. I used to play lots and lots of video games. And, um, I remember when the Lord really got a hold of me and um, some change happened and I had to repent. Not for playing video games, but for wasting valuable time. Right? Because I was wasting a lot of time on something that was going to bring me zero return of anything in the spiritual realm or in the realm of eternity. And I was spending a lot of time doing something that had zero return even in the natural. Wasn't like I was at work and well, at least the money is feeding the family, right? It wasn't that I wasn't providing. I was providing very well. In fact, we were doing well. Our business was doing very well. And we had more than enough. But I still, you know, it would prick me every now and then that I shouldn't do that. That I shouldn't waste so much time on this. That I should put a greater value on... Um, I don't know. Maybe I could do something worthwhile with my time. But yeah, okay, so you make an effort for a day or two or, and then you go back to the addictive video game. And uh, I remember I went to this leadership training seminar out in California. And they said, all right, we want you to uh, define your purpose in life. Why are you here? And then we want you to, uh, we're going to all go out and we're going to take a hike and we're going to climb this mountain. You know, it's, I don't know how tall it was, maybe 500 feet, 1,000 feet of elevation gain, and it's maybe four or five miles long, the hike. It's on a road, gravel road, okay, easy hike. Anyone can walk it. But it still takes a little bit of time. They said, we want you to be thinking about your purpose, as you, your purpose in life. Why are you here as you walk up that hill? We also want you to, along the way, especially down in the first half a mile, Pick up some rocks and carry them with you to the top. These rocks represent the things that are stopping you from fulfilling your purpose in life. And once you get to the top, there's a cliff there. And we're going to throw them off the cliff. All right? And we're going to release them and we're going to get rid of these things that are hindering us from walking into the plan of God in our life. Okay, great. So we all do this. We pick up rocks and different things. I picked up a rock and I knew exactly what this rock represented in my life. It was all the time I was wasting 
playing video games. Again, if you play video games, this is absolutely not disparaging to you at all. If you waste a bunch of time, that's a different subject entirely. I still play video games occasionally. But there's a right time and place, you understand, for everything. Well, I climbed that hill. <clears throat> you know, that rock got pretty heavy. Not because it actually weighed a lot, but because of what it represented to me. And as I got up to the top, it was difficult to throw that off because I knew that this is not, I'm not just here doing an exercise and yay, I checked the box and can go home. No, this is real to me. They said, when you pick this thing up, don't do it and don't go up there and throw it away unless you intend to get rid of whatever that thing is that's hindering you. And so I went up and I stood at the edge of that cliff and it was a whole lot harder to throw the rock than what I thought it would be. But I did. I chucked that thing. I suddenly just felt so light. It's just the natural expression of something, an agreement, a repentance that had taken place on the inside. And I, from that day, said I'm going to put a value on fulfilling the reason God put me here on the earth over pursuing my own pleasure. Sometimes the Lord has you go do something pleasurable. Has you go rest. It says Jesus would work hard and then He would withdraw. And He would go up to the region of Lebanon. Wasn't even Jews up there to go preach to. He's just going up there. And, and if you've ever been there, you understand why He went. It's beautiful. It's a mountain. You look down over the, over the Mediterranean. It's, it's amazing. And what happened? Well, I got rid of that. I made a new agreement with myself and with the Lord because that whole, that whole hill was, you know, it was a meeting between me and the Lord. And throwing that rock, those things that so easily beset us. Right? There's Scripture for all of it. And um, I found freedom in that. If someone would want to go bring up the children um, so that they can be with us when we take communion, that'd be great. Alright, I'm going to read some more Scriptures to you. <clears throat> and John, if I could have you come and uh, get onto the piano. You're already on the way. Thank you. Listen to this. We're talking about valuing, having the wisdom of God to discern what is good and what is best. Alright? In Daniel chapter 12 and verses 2 and 3, end of time scriptures. I know some of you like that. It says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise, everyone say wise, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who turn or lead many to righteousness. You know, the word turn is another word for repent. Right? Leading them to rightness, to right standing with God. Those who are wise are going to shine. And what else are they going to do? They're going to turn many to righteousness. And they're going to shine like the stars. Proverbs 11, verses 28 and 30, if you're taking notes. I'm reading these in the New King James, if you're putting them up on the screen. He who trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind, like nothing. You cause trouble to your house, you inherit nothing. And the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. 
Listen to this. This is where I wanted to get to. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. What are we talking about? We're talking about having the wisdom of God to discern what's truly valuable. And the wise turn many to righteousness. The wise win. This word win means to take or to take captive people. Take them captive to righteousness. Not by forcing them to do something, but leading them by the divine revelation of who Jesus is, showing them that, that they would turn to righteousness and you are counted as wise. The wisest person is the one who wins souls. We're going to get wisdom where we're also going to be wise. Let's go over to a Scripture that I've read many times in Ephesians chapter 5 in this series. Do you value people like God values people? You know, Every person you meet, even those irritating ones, even those that cut you off on the road, even those that try to cut the line when you're standing somewhere. I mean, here in this nation, we don't have too much of a problem with that. But man, you go overseas, foreigners, they live to cut lines on you. And if you've got any kind of space, social distancing is right out. And you have just a normal American space between you and the next person, oh, that's space for a body to squeeze in. All right, And so, it can be frustrating. But I'm asking the question, are we valuing even those people like God values them and sees them? Are we looking at the people that we meet out on the street and seeing that the significance that they hold to the Lord? The value of Jesus Christ. He that wins souls is wise. You didn't know you were coming to an evangelism missionary sermon, did you? But that's what the wise do. The foolish are just caught up in the natural realm and what they want right here and now and the pleasures of this world. But the wise see that there's a person behind the counter. They see there's a person behind that fake smile. They see there's a person that is going through real things. And you know a real Jesus who can be their real answer. Ephesians 5. Verse 15 says, pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Alright, so pay attention that you walk as wise. This translation says, making the most of the time. But that word is, is redeeming the time. Or buying back the time. Or recovering by purchasing the time. Because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Well, what is the Lord's will? What we know above everything else, it's His will that none should perish. And so anytime you hook up with that will of His, you're walking in the divine purpose of God. Whether you're enabling someone else to be able to walk in it, or you're doing it yourself by opening your mouth. But let's look at this just a little bit in verse 16. Redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Well, have they gotten any less evil? No. No. So, redeeming, purchasing back the time is even more important today than it was 2,000 years ago. 
Over in Colossians, actually, let's keep reading because he tells us some of the ways that, some of the results of what's begin to happen then when you know what God's will is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. So it's God's will that you be filled with the Spirit. And just a side note, the word be filled is a continuous, ongoing action. It's not a once and done. And here's the result. Speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, look at Colossians 4. Page to the right a few pages, you should find it. Colossians 4 verse 5. Act wisely toward outsiders. Unbelievers. People that are not saved. People that have not walked into what you've walked into yet. Act wisely towards outsiders. Okay, we're talking about the wisdom of God. How do we value them? How do we walk in wisdom to the outsiders? It says, making the most of the time. Or redeeming the time. Buying back the time. Now an interesting thing about buying back time is did you know that you can literally buy time? Every one of you, if you have enough finances for it, you can buy time. I'll tell you how to do it right here. Hire help. Because what takes you 10 hours to do, if you hire someone else to spend 10 hours on that, you have just bought yourself 10 hours. Right? So one of the ways that we buy time is by getting our money involved. We can't all be in Iraq, but we can certainly buy time for those who are there. We can't all go to every place in the world. We can only be in the place we're at. But we can enable others to fulfill what they're doing. We can enable our neighbors to do things. And if we look to the Lord, Lord, give me an opportunity to redeem that time. To gain time. To gain time. See, this same expression is used when King Nebuchadnezzar is, uh, has that dream and he doesn't remember what it is. So he calls in all the wise men says, hey, tell me what I dreamed. And they're like, well, you tell us what you dreamed and then we'll tell you what it means. He's like, no, you tell me what I dreamed. And they're like, well, nobody in the world can do that. You tell us what you dreamed and we'll tell you what it means. The king goes, I know what you're trying to do. You're just trying to gain time. Redeem time. It's the same thing. Gaining time. Why? Because the days are evil. Why? Because the unbelievers out there, their life depends on it. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that all the wisdom that ever could be exists in You. And so Lord, we ask You for more wisdom and how that we can effectively carry out Your purpose, Your divine will here in Lancaster County and all the different places where we go in our individual lives and those listening by internet, wherever they may be. Lord, I ask You for the divine understanding and wisdom on how to walk in the purpose that You have assigned to us. Lord, show us how to redeem the time where we are. What is available to us. that What You've given to us. And how that we can fulfill the purpose, the destiny that You've placed before us. I thank You for this. Lord, I ask You to bring an awareness of the value of our brother and sister. An awareness of value of the people that we meet on the street. Even the strangers. Lord, I ask You that when we 
when we begin to treat people as insignificant or not valuable, that You would arrest us in that moment and convict us by Your Spirit and, and prod us and, and, and get us to turn in that moment and treat them as though they are valuable. I thank You for this, Lord. I believe that You're going to do this in each one of us in Jesus' name. And Amen. We're going to take communion. We generally do that once a month. And um, not in any set order. Just as the Lord leads. And so tonight we're going to do that. <clears throat> and I'm going to read you Scriptures about some people and what they valued in valuing the body and blood of Jesus. Okay, But while I do that, let's get some people to pass out the elements. Um, Dana, Donna, I'm never sure if I'm saying your name right. So you with the smile on your face, and you behind her with the smile on your face. If you two would come, and um, maybe we can have Adrian and Caleb on this side, and uh, just pass out the elements, go up one side, one of you can take the bread, the other one the cup, and make sure everyone, um, everyone gets some. And while they're passing that out, I'm going to just read to you a little bit about Paul instructions that he gave to the Corinthian church. So apparently, when they were coming together, there was some divisions and factions going on and they were, they were honoring one person above another person. And they weren't honoring the bread and blood of the body and blood of Jesus like they should have been. And they weren't honoring Jesus' body, His people, as they should have been. And so this is what he says to them. If you can listen to me and not be distracted by them coming in your aisle. It says, when you come together then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. So apparently, they're having the Lord's Supper. They, it was a meal. And they were just having a whole feast to deal with here. And some people would come in and didn't have anything, and so they would go hungry. Other people would, you know, be gluttons and get drunk. Isn't it interesting? Some people try to say that the the wine was the non-alcoholic kind, but yet they were getting drunk on the non-alcoholic wine. Interesting. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or you do you despise? despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. Man, he's given them the what for, right? He's saying, guys, you guys aren't honoring the things of God like you should. In fact, in not honoring, not treating it as valuable, the opposite of it is despising it. Treating it as totally insignificant, like it doesn't matter. He's saying, this is wrong. You should not be doing this. He says, and now he talks about revelation that he received. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. As often as you drink it, in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. 
so then. So now he gave them the instructions on how they're to do it. Now he goes, so then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Not your neighbor, yourself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. So in an examined way. After you've examined yourself and said, okay, I'm looking at, I'm look, I'm, I'm not going to do this lightly. I understand the significance of what I'm about to do. And that this bread means it's significant to me. It's the broken body of Jesus and it's for my healing and, and the blood of Jesus was for my cleansing and I'm cleansed and healed. These tokens represent this very crucifixion day to me and to my life. He goes for in verse 29, whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. Or wait on one another is what one Scripture says. Meaning you're going to prefer one another. You're not going to be cutting the line, right? Because you consider them just as valuable as yourself. In fact, the Word says consider each other as more valuable. Treat each other as more valuable than yourself. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. And then he says, I'll give you further instructions later about this when I come. Apparently, he was going to come see them in person and so he was going to give them further instruction on it. But what can you and I take from this? We can take that, you know what? The body, the blood of Jesus is extremely valuable to us. Do you think it's valuable to the Father in Heaven? What it represents? Yeah. It should be that valuable to us. And we should look at our brother and sister realizing that they carry that equal value. They're part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ that was is now in the earth. And so, we're still talking about wisdom. The wisdom to discern what is valuable. So as, as you go from this place tonight, I want you to see people differently. The Lord wants you to see people differently than what you saw them before. As holding extreme value to the Father. So therefore, the Word says, be like the Father. Imitate Him. Therefore, they hold extreme value to you. His, not, not all of them are His people, but especially His people were going to do that. And those that are not His people, let's be people changers and turn them into His people. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the precious, precious blood of Jesus. For the precious promises You've given to us. The body that was broken for us. We recognize right now, Father, that without that happening, we would be without hope. But because You paid the price for us, and You bought us back to belong to You, we receive in faith, Lord, that this broken body is for our healing. That this blood cleanses us from all sin. Past, present, and future. And we're grateful for it in Jesus' name. And let's take the bread. And let's take the cup. The precious blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. 
stand with me and let's just worship Him. Let's just tell Him in our own words what He means to us. Tell Him in our own words that we're thankful for what He's done for us. Father, thank You for sending Jesus. Thank You that You made a way for us to walk in righteousness and holiness. That You made a way for us to be called Your sons, Your daughters. Thank You, Lord, that You delivered us from the pit. That You set our feet on the straight and narrow path. Thank You, Lord, that You brought life and health to us. That You've given us health in our bodies. Thank You, Lord, that You've delivered us from darkness and from sin. That You've made us Your own. That we're called the sons of God. We bless You for this. We exalt You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus, for taking upon Yourself my punishment. Thank You for taking the whipping. Thank You for taking the beating and the scorning and then letting them spit in Your face. Lord, thank You for suffering for me. For, for paying completely my debt of sin. Thank You for that. Thank You, Father. Thank You for naming me as Yours. For giving me life within. Thank You for giving us the Holy Spirit that lives within us and sets us free. Thank You, Lord, for Your Spirit. That is, we can now be the temple where You live. I bless You, Lord. I exalt You. Father, thank You for putting brothers and sisters with us here. Thank You for the family of God. Thank You that You've put us in, uh, in the company of Your children in this house. Thank You that You've met our financial needs. Lord, that You've blessed us with more than enough. Thank You that You've given us warm houses to live in. Given us good jobs. Thank You for the pay increases that You've given to us. Thank You that You've given us the ability to live and to do good. And to do it abundantly. We bless You for it. We exalt You, Lord. Thank You for a car to drive. Thank You, Lord, that You put tires on the car. Thank You, Father, that You give us good things. I've tasted and seen that You are good, Lord. That You are blessing. And that You look for people to bless. And we just worship You for it, Lord. We give You our lives. We, we belong to You. We're, we're so happy to belong to You, Lord. And we recognize we're not our own. We're not just serving our purpose here, Father, but we serve You and we bless You. Someone say, Hallelujah! above all names that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow every tongue will confess that he is Lord so let's just do that Jesus you are Lord be my Lord Jesus Jesus Now, if you wonder why we get so loud in this house, it's not to try to make so the Lord can hear us. <laughs> it's just because we get excited about it, all right? 
And if you've ever been to a sports game where they get excited, they get loud, right? So, so don't sit here and go, oh, we can't shout at the Lord. Oh, he likes it too. Just like when the players like the encouragement, right? The Lord don't need encouragement, but he certainly, his ear is open to us. So just one more time, yell, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Lord. Woo! Sometimes even the mics get happy. <laughs> All right, so next week, there's not going to be any service on Saturday night, right? This Friday night, Christmas Eve is when the service, regular weekend service will be Christmas Eve here at this house. So this side of the, of the room over here, tell this side, say, there is no service Saturday night. This side, tell them, yeah, we know, it's Friday night. So now, during the week, when you go, oh yeah, when was service? You know, you told each other. What we say so often, that one way we love God is we value one another. We love each other. So do that as you go tonight, and you are free to go. Or to stay and linger and love on each other. Good evening, everyone. Welcome the Church of the Word International. We're so glad that you're here tonight. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of this beautiful family that we all so love, don't we? We just so love each other. It's just wonderful. You're accepted, you're approved, or you're the best friend of everybody's. It's just a great place to be at. Amen. Do you love to hear the Word of God read to you? I do too. There's just something about it. I'm teaching my grandkids how to read the Word to me <laughs> when they come down, opening the Bible, say, let's read the Word of God. It's just so rich. Jesus doesn't point us to the truth. He is the truth. There's no substitute. And in Psalms, I think I asked you last, last uh, week, do you have a favorite Psalm? And I would like you to think about that, really. What is your favorite psalm? Do you have it memorized? In Psalms 111, it says, Praise the Lord. Yeah, some of you got it. <laughs> I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great. They're studied by all who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Say that, that's, he's compassionate toward me. Say that. See, make the word of God very personal, like your personal love letter from the Lord. He has given food to those who fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. 
He has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are true and just. All his precepts are sure. They stand, for, they stand fast forever and ever, and they are done in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. Anybody redeemed here tonight? He has commanded his covenant forever, and holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. We are in training mode right now, praising the Lord with a, with a will and a want to. Because when you get to heaven, you'll be praising God for all of eternity. But here and now, sometimes it's a sacrifice. So let's all stand together as family in this house, this place, this assembly, and let's praise him with a whole heart tonight. Amen. Jesus, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the risen King that is overcome. He overcame everything for you and I. And he paved an example that we can overcome as well. He was afflicted in all ways, tempted in all ways, yet sinned not. He showed us that we can too. He anointed us. He empowered us with the Holy Spirit that we could walk as he walked on the earth. Amen. Do you believe that? Amen. It's so true. See, it's the word and it's truth, but you got to take it in your heart and see yourself as that overcoming saint of God because he's empowered you to do it. Jesus is our commander in chief. Amen. We take our orders from him. He empowers us to obey. He empowers us to walk and live like him. And I don't know about you, but that is so comforting to my heart. He's ever interceding at the right hand of the Father for you. Every, all day long, he's interceding for you. He's fully human. He's fully God, and he sits there knowing what you're going through and praying for you to overcome. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That's our great king. That's our great Jesus. Alive and well. Amen. Turn your neighbor and say, Jesus is my Lord. How about you? Amen. Glory to God. He is Lord. Well, good evening again, everyone. It's good to see you all tonight. We'd like to welcome you here. If you're here for the first time, can you just raise your hand so we can acknowledge you, welcome you, love on you? Right here in the back, thank you for coming out. We pray you'll be blessed tonight. 
family, make sure they feel welcome. All right, well, we're going to return the tithe to the Lord this evening, so if you need a cash envelope for your giving, raise your hand. And if you're giving by credit card, do fill out all of the blanks. If you're giving by check, you can make it out to CWI. Well, we have something a little different tonight. <clears throat> so just go ahead and prepare yourself to testify. <laughs> uh, how many know that God has promised to bless the tither and protect the tither? He's promised help and deliverance to those that trust in his name, those that fear him. The scripture says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, I know that y'all have experienced the goodness of God. I know there's tithers in here, so I know that you have seen the provision, seen the blessing, seen the protection. So just prepare yourself to testify. I'm going to call you up here. Actually, if you feel like you have a testimony of um, you'd like to share, you can be coming up. I'm going to read some scriptures before we do that. Psalm 71:14 says this, says, As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. Maybe that always having hope has something to do with praising God. What do you think? My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate them all. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone. Hebrews 2.12 says this, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. If you are here in this house and call this home, these are your brothers and sisters. It says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. Psalms 22:22 says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. Do you get this? We come together and we say, man, how good God has been to me. I will magnify the Lord. Let us exalt him together. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, here's another one in Psalm 66. It says, I will sacrifice fat animals to you in an offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. See, they didn't have dollar bills back then, but they had this. They had, this represents their time, their sustenance, their existence. Without these animals, they weren't living. Well, on this day and age, we need dollar bills to, to make it, you know. So it says... They'll bring these things and offer these things. It says, come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. All right. Does anybody have something they would like to share? What is, you know, maybe God's done it this past week. Maybe it's been 10 years ago. Doesn't matter. Just come right on up here. Make a line. And we'll just, we'll just share. Hi, I'm Karen. Um, I just want to share about the first time we tithed. So Scott and I, when I say we had no money, I mean, we couldn't buy a gallon of milk. Okay, so giving the tithe was, you had to get rid of that fear in order to, to, to do it. So we went to the Lord. I went to God. I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, we're going to give our tithe today. We went to church, gave our tithe, came home. And on the front porch from somebody, bags and bags and bags of gorgeous clothes for my kids. Wow. I, to this day, I still don't know where they came from. And it was from no one who knew we tithed or were even going through that. That was just a miraculous provision. So praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. I was debating on whether I wanted That's her okay, to share or me to share. Just but... make a line. 
have something you want to share? Babe, do you want to come up and share with me? <laughs> we're sharing. Sorry, uh, we're sharing stuff on um, how God is working in our lives through tech. So I figured the past few weeks was kind of a huge yeah. thing. So tag team. Okay. Um, so okay. Uh, <laughs> sorry that this has been a major miracle that has blessed us in our um, just over the past two weeks. We've been experiencing it, but um, it's a two part. It's tithe plus waiting on God. So we have made it a staple in our marriage um, from even before when we got married. Yeah, before we got married. Before we got married that tithing is a non-negotiable thing. Like you always tithe on everything that comes in that we've earned. And so we've been doing that and we this year have been believing that God has told us that we're going to get out of debt. And so we're like, okay, like we're going to be faithful to what God said and just wait and just wait and be faithful with tithing, tithing and should probably take over. My words are getting all jumbled. But um, over the past two weeks, uh, we had an opportunity that was kind of basically fell into our lap. And now we're in an area where we have more than we can think or ask, more like abundantly and able to like, we'll probably be out of debt within the next like six months. And so... Um, And there was another moment that happened a couple months ago, I'm trying to remember exactly when, but within the past three or four months that we had um, basically been taught the principle of, um, well, learning the differences between tithing and offering first fruits, um, that kind of stuff. And so we learned that and then we were, you know, we're just like, all right, God, like whatever you give us, we're going to start implementing this into our lives. And I think we had learned it on a Thursday night, Thursday or Friday night, and that Monday he went into work and got a raise. And it was so, it was just so out of the blue. It was such a blessing. Um, But also something that we realized was the first opportunity that we were able to give as a first fruit um, of what we had just learned. So that was really awesome. All right, Vera. This goes back a little further, but when we learned to tithe, we always tithe. That was just all there was. You just, and we hit hard times, and we still kept on tithing. And what came out of it, God was so faithful and very faithful. Our furnace gave out, and the guy came in, and he said, every year we give a furnace to somebody, and they picked us. So the, and... Before this hard time hit, we had just put siding on the roof, but we weren't finished on the house and new roof and everything, and the spouting wasn't finished. I came home from the hospital one day, and the spouting was done. To this day, we don't know who did that. And another time, the driveway was only half finished. (laughs) And I said, God, that driveway bugs me. (laughs) And I want it when the kids are little. They're trying to play basketball on that ugly, you know, half-done driveway. And the youth were also using it. But then one morning, uh, somebody called and said the Lord told her to uh, tell us to go get somebody to do the driveway, and they're paying for it. And I could go on and on. There's a lot more. I I know. We could be here for... (laughs) Um, sometimes you know the principle. It's not like you're in a hard time and, and, and then you figure it out and you're like, oh, this is my way out of this hard time. Sometimes you know it and you're doing it and then you hit a hard time. 
And one of the first things if you hit a financial hardship is like, oh, suck it all in. What can I cut? Trim the fat. Like, where can we cut? We went through that with Josh where we were, you know, he, we were obeying the Lord first and foremost. And the Lord said that he would provide and take care. And, um, and we committed to each other. We are not, we'll trim the fat, but it is not going to come from tithes and offerings. We are still going to continue our regular giving. No matter what that was to, we weren't willing to give that up. And over that time period, money showed up in the mailbox and we weren't like, we're, we're not working. We don't have money. We don't camp by, you know, we weren't advertising. We weren't telling people. And I mean, money came through the offering plate. Money showed up in our mailbox. Still, again, to this day, don't know who they are. Um, but the funniest thing that I can remember is um, be careful what you laugh at. Um, I, I'm thinking of whoever was in the Bible and laughed and then he couldn't talk and Zechariah or Zechariah of what God says. So we are in the middle of no income. Josh is in Armada Bible School. He was called to do that for that, that year time frame, and he was supposed to focus on school and not on, on work and that the Lord would provide. And <laughs> what's humorous about this is that at the time we were at Greenfield and we were, um, Tom and Lauren Groff were doing Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University. And we had been through that. And so we were asked to lead a table. So we're leading a group of people how to get out of debt and we are like kind of in it again. And one of the things that we had to do was we had to, you know, add up all of our expenses or our debt and say, how soon do you think you can get rid of that? Josh is like, I think we can be out of debt in two years. And I literally laughed in his face. And I was like, you're not working. Like, how are we going to do that? And it was the favor of God and um, his provision. And it was less than two years and we were out of debt. And so, and blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And yeah, so stay faithful to the things that the Lord has said. And every message that we've heard on tithe and offering and first fruits, it's God's word. And he's so faithful. Yes, he is so faithful. All right. Anyone? I don't want to cut anyone off. You got one? Am I allowed to? Yes, you're allowed. And you can pray over the offering, too, since you... You know, I was... This week, Jen and I, we were in at Walmart, and um, she's off doing her, filling up her cart. I'm off filling up my cart. And um, I'm walking down the chip aisle. And um, really, I'm just walking around Walmart trying to find what do I feel like getting tonight, right? And um, I'm going down, I'm looking at the different chips and, you know, what, what looks good to me, what do I want? And suddenly I was just hit with a wave of emotion, remembering that there was a day that I couldn't do that. That there was a day that we couldn't afford luxuries like chips. We couldn't afford luxuries like Walmart. And that we were adding water to the milk and that everything was burning around us and everything was falling to the ground and where we didn't have a job and we had no money and all of these things. And all of that happened um, on the forefront of us coming into the move of the Holy Spirit and and grabbing these truths everyone is talking about tonight. And we began to put those truths to work. And the day where you just do without, you know... Back in 2009, 2010, and um, versus where we are today, the gratefulness, I can't explain to you how much, how beautiful what the Lord has done for us. And just to add to the story, I, I walked out to the, uh, the uh, checkout, and 
the lady asks me, and I have a cart full of things, $180 worth of things. And the lady asked me at checkout, she says, uh, she said, did you find everything you were looking for? I said, <laughs> I stopped, I grinned, I said, well, actually, I wasn't looking for any of this. <laughs> and she starts laughing. I said, well, that's not true. I came in for the deodorant, I guess. So I got the deodorant. But you know, what the Lord, He honors those who honor Him. And so make him your first priority. And Jesus said it this way. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And the things he was talking about was food and clothing and all of those necessary things. So, uh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. All right. Well, let him get away without praying over the offering. (laughs) You know, the word works when you work it, work it, work it. Isn't that the way the song goes? So thankful for that. All right, well, let's, let's take a hold of our offering, our tithe, and let's pray. Father, we're so thankful to you tonight for your goodness, for your faithfulness. You are the provider. You are the sustainer, and we acknowledge you as our source. We're so grateful for every good thing. We know it comes from you. So we just give you praise for it tonight in the name of Jesus, and amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give unto the Lord. All right, something that's not in your bulletin tonight, so you'll need to actually listen to the announcements. (laughs) January 2nd, there's going to be a service at Word of Grace, and that's in Harrisburg, is that correct? David Landis is installing a new senior pastor that morning. So it's Sunday morning, January 2nd, 10 a.m. Pastor Dale or Apostle Dale just wanted me to let the congregation know. because there's going to be a catered meal. So if you are planning to attend and want to stay for the catered meal, that will be following that service. If you could just RSVP to Apostle Dale as soon as possible, that would be appreciated. Also, I wanted to point out uh, the bulletin. um, We got an announcement in the bulletin. Um, We have a new book in the bookstore. So Larry Hostetter has given different words to this congregation over the years, and we have it in book form. He's got it printed in book form, and it's in the bookstore downstairs. The bulletin says it's for $10, but it's for free. So if you'd like one, help yourself. They're on the table, I believe. Should be pretty self-explanatory where that is. And also, if you go down to the bookstore, um, just FYI, there's some new things in the lending library. So make yourself um, take a Take, what's the word I'm looking for? Take advantage of it. Take advantage of the resources that we have down there. There's a lot of good books. All right. Pastor, come bless the people. You guys can actually come up. Uh, Debbie asked if, if I would uh, do this. She asked me earlier, and if it, we just we have a card, and, and uh, we took an offering for you, and and uh, I was asking the Lord, so, Lord, what do you want me to share? Um, and, you know, I thought, of, I thought about sharing a, a good Sid joke, you know, like, uh, what's a balloon's favorite type of music? Like, you know, pop music. Um, I like that. I'll use that later. <laughs> and then I thought, no, nah, that's a little too cheesy. Um, and so I was asking the Lord for a scripture, and, and he actually gave me two. Uh, and one, I, I have looked at this many times, and I, and I, never, I never saw it in this light. Uh, now, there were 
In the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And you are our shepherd, and you keep good watch over us by night. And we are very appreciative of that. And the Lord gave me another scripture, uh, Jeremiah 3.15. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And we are so appreciative, and I speak for everyone here. We are so appreciative of the leadership that you provide us. We've gone through a interesting year and a half to two years, and you guys have been solid. You have been an example to follow, and we greatly love you and appreciate you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much, and um, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is what brings us together, puts us together, and makes us work well together, and I'm grateful for that, and I'm thankful for you, and thank you for uh, being so kind to us. I do have a question for you, Josh, though. If a drummer comes out of retirement... Do you think there will be repercussions? <laughs> Since Robin is so skillful at what he does, that's another word for wisdom. Robin, he um, records the services and he puts them online. So. If you've gone online and listened to any of our messages, you know um, that sometimes they come out in a different order than what they were delivered here, because he puts the, the message first, and then he puts the other parts after the message, so if you listen to it, you go, well, that's not exactly how it happened. Yeah, there's a reason for that, because we want you to be able to go right into the Word of God when you find the sermon. So I say all of that to say this. So, Robin, you can add this on to the testimonies about finances, all right? So, as you slice and dice it, and we'll get into the sermon in a little bit, because I wasn't quite done. Um, during that time where things were so hard for us, see, we knew what it was like to prosper, and we'd done very well. This was back in the early 2000s. We're making 20 grand a month. You know, things are going well. We, we have a successful business. We sell the business, and then, and then things went wrong. Because the person buying the business didn't end up paying us. Later they did. But at the time they didn't pay us. And then we got into this whole credit crisis that happened with the banks. And we were building some apartment projects and different things. And so the bank froze all. Their loans got froze. They froze our loans. And so the fallout of that was. And at the same time work stopped out there pretty much. And so we had no work. We had no way to pay all these loans that were frozen. And um, so we end up losing everything. Okay, our house, our apartments, our just we lost everything. And so during that time, as we lost everything, is where we came into the understanding that as we sow, that's how we're going to reap. And we had just spent years prospering but not sowing. We really didn't sow much. I mean, maybe 1% a year, I don't know. We really didn't because that's not who we were. And... So now we had no harvest. And so we got a hold of this truth in the middle of famine. 
And we began to sow and we began to look to the Lord and to cry out to the Lord. And we determined at that time that never again, I don't care how little we have, whatever comes into our possession will always be tithed on. We will always return an offering to the Lord on it. And in doing that, the Lord prospered us a lot. But during that season, once we made that decision, there were several things that happened that just absolutely defy explanation. We came out of the service one day, and uh, we had a Mercury Mountaineer, and it was locked. And the reason I, I know it was locked, because I had actually, it came to my mind, and I had gone and checked before we went inside. And um, because we were sitting in town, and, and not the greatest part of town where the, where the church was, and um, after the service, we come out and we get into the vehicle. I unlock it and we get in and on the center console is an envelope and uh, a card that says, don't be discouraged, God loves you guys, and $700. I mean, we had absolutely nothing at that moment. I don't know how it got in there. Nobody else had keys to our car. I don't know. Um, two different times, money, we found money in our car, inside our locked house, in the garage. Again, no idea how it got there. I don't know. I mean, no one, you know, people didn't have keys to our house, things like that. So what I do know, though, is the who is not as nearly as important as the why and the where it came from. Because, see, he always uses people to give to each other. And so how that money got there, I don't know. Maybe the Lord used an angel because he could also do that, right? And, um, but he will absolutely, you know, David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. We never had to go beg. Every time our need became too great, we just would tell the Lord about it. And we didn't tell other people about it because we wanted the Lord to know that he's our source. You know, sometimes people use the prayer, you know, pray for me as really the gossip. I need help. They don't want to ask for help, but they want to let you know that I need help. But we determined we're not going to do that because we're going to test it. I mean, if the Lord means what He says, then He'll do what He said. And He absolutely d did and, and does and continues to and has blessed us in so many ways, in, in ways that we weren't even looking for. And so uh, I just encourage you with that, that look to the Lord as your provider and not to your job or to you know, anything around you. Because no matter uh, pandemics or inflation, none of that is a match to the Lord as a provider. All right, hallelujah. So tonight, if you would, turn with me. Actually, nope, I'm still ahead of myself. Something that the Lord put in my heart to do just right before I got up. Let's do this. And then y'all's kindness and gift derailed my thought. In Luke chapter 11, let's start here. We'll go on with the sermon here in just a moment. Luke chapter 11 in verse 9. Jesus makes a statement. This, you know, this is a season where we give gifts to each other. I, I saw people giving gifts to each other tonight before the service started. So we know that our example is God the Father because He gives gifts. But let's look here in Luke 11 in verse 9. It says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children. See, we know how to give good gifts to our children, even though we're but dust, as Scripture says. We know that if our child were to ask, I'm hungry, I need an egg. We're not going to give them a snake or a scorpion, right? Unless it was fried and, and done right, you know, then, then it might be good, but not a living one. And so we know how to give good gifts. He, then he makes this statement. Since we know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How many of you would like to have more of the Spirit of God in and on you? Just raise your hand if you would like that. Alright, so what I'm going to do is, is we're going to ask Him. You know, the disciples, they were filled with the Holy Spirit again and again and again during Acts. We see that. The same people, another event. Same people, another, if they're filled again. And then, you know, they would be filled and, and all these things, um, amazing things would take place. So what I'm going to do is we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Lord to fill us anew, fill us afresh with His Holy Spirit. And uh, just reach out by faith and believe that you receive it. Because He says here that if you ask, you'll get it. When I first asked for that, I felt absolutely no different. I might as well have said, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. You know, I felt nothing, okay? But I got up off of my knees, and this is what I said, or this is what I thought within myself. I thought, I must be too dumb to know what the Holy Ghost feels like. Because I asked for the Holy Ghost, and he said if I ask, he'll give it. So I've obviously received it. I'm obviously full of it. I'm just too ignorant to realize it. That's what I thought within myself. And so I lifted my hands and I said, Thank you, Lord, for filling me full of your Holy Spirit. What is that? That's faith. That's reaching out and laying hold of what he's given to us and, and taking ownership of it. So let's just do that tonight. Father, I thank you so much. Lift up your hands to the Lord if you would like the Holy Spirit to just fill you. Father, I ask you, we ask you, Lord, for your spirit tonight to come in and upon us in a renewing way. Lord, that we would become more like you in every way. Lord, I ask for your spirit of revelation and knowledge to come upon us. Your spirit of wisdom to come within us. Lord, your spirit of empowerment and enablement to be like you in every way, to accurately reflect you, to come in and on us in Jesus' name. Someone say, I receive. Hallelujah. So now what's going to happen during the rest of the sermon is you're going to have more revelation than you would have had before because you have more of the Holy Spirit in you than you had before. All right? The revealing power of the Spirit of Christ. 